0: The words that we use matter. Um, And I think the less words we use, the better. We all tend to talk more than we should talk. We all tend to go down a path of saying things that are unnecessary and unneeded. Sometimes we lay aside words that ought to be said, that are not said. We only have so many words to give out through our lifetime, and it's important to use them correctly. Henry Newell, in his book, The Way of the Heart, wrote this about our words. Over the last decade, we have been inundated with a torrent of words. Wherever we go, we're surrounded by words. Words softly spoken, loudly proclaimed, angrily screamed. Words spoken, recited, sung. Words on records, in books, on walls, in the sky words in many sounds, many colors, many forms, words to be heard, read, seen, glanced at, words that flicker on and off, move slowly, they dance, they jump, they wiggle, words, 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 they form the walls, floors, and ceilings of our existence, Recently, Newell writes that I was driving down through Los Angeles and I suddenly had a strange sensation of driving through a huge dictionary. Wherever I looked, there were words trying to take my eyes off from the road. They said, use me, take me, buy me, drink me, smell me, touch me, kiss me, sleep with me. In such a world, who can maintain respect for words? One of our main problems is that in this chatter society, silence has become a very fearful thing. For most people, silence creates itchiness and nervousness. Many experience silence not as full and rich, but as empty and hollow. For them, silence is like a gaping abyss which can swallow them up. As soon as a minister says during a worship service, let us be silent for a few moments, people tend to become restless, preoccupied with only one thought, when will this silence be over? It is in the silence that we actually begin to listen. It is in our verbiage Many times we get in trouble. I had a silent moment on the back porch as I was reading over the scripture yesterday morning and a deer walked out from the forest. And I wanted to yell for Karen to come out, but I was scared of the deer, so I shrunk in and we got out. And in silence, we watched that beautiful fawn graze along the property. Silence words. Look at Matthew chapter 5, if you will. Matthew chapter 5. I hope as a conclusion of today's message that you will mark your words and be more careful with what you say and limit them as much as possible. Chapter 5, verse 33, Jesus again quotes an old saying, handed down, and by the way, unlearning is the hardest thing you'll ever do. To unlearn what you've always thought is a very hard thing. Jesus said in verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, wasn't even said to them, it was said to the old timers, and we just pass it down, don't we? I love that story of a mom who took both ends of the ham. Chuck Swindoll Swindoll told this story years ago, and she cut off both ends of the ham. And her daughter asked her, "Why why do you do that? She said, I don't know. So she asked her mother. And she said, well, my grandmother only had a pan this long, and to fit the ham in, we had to cut both ends off. It had been passed down that way. But nobody knew why. Jesus said, those who said of old, you just swallow what they said. You shall not swear falsely. Now this has nothing to do with profanity. Although I encourage the prohibition of such practice. This has nothing to do with verbiage at all. It has to do with swearing over something that's wrong and false, saying something, promising something that's true that you know is not true. We'll look at it in a minute. The problem was that they put this verse out of Numbers and Deuteronomy next to another verse and they didn't really go together. That's a good way to teach errors, take two different verses, put them together and they don't go together. Look at verse 33. But, conjunction, shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. You promise something to Him, pull it off. Well, let's go back into the Old Testament and find out where these references are and see exactly what the Jews were saying and what they were not saying. So, I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 19. It's one of the first five books of the Bible. Leviticus chapter 19. It is just before Numbers, it is just after Exodus. I think it's important for us to take the time to look at the reference that these Jews were getting this idea out of to understand the flow of what Jesus was countering and telling them not to do. You have to know what they were saying to do before you know Jesus' counter. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 11. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 11. In verse 11, this is a long a long list of what you should not do to your neighbor. Verse 11, you shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. There it is. See verse 12? This is our verse. You shall not swear by my name falsely. And so profane the name of the Lord, of of your God, I am the Lord. There's a progression in verse 11 and 12, and let me show you what it is by illustration. Ed has a garage in his, my neighbor Ed has a garage in his backyard that does not have garage doors on it. Therefore, all his tools are exposed to all the neighbors. Now, this is not a problem because we live in Callahan and everybody in Callahan carries a gun so you have a lot less theft in Callahan but anyway that's that's just a side note so let's say one day there was a wrench that i wanted not that i've ever done such a thing but let's say i walked across and stole a wrench from ed took it out of his garage put it in my barn in the back well i've just violated you shall not steal Ed is looking around for his tool, and we get talking one day, and he says, you know, I've kind of lost my tool, my wrench. That's my favorite wrench. It was a half inch. I used it all the time, and I don't have it now, and I wonder where, and I'm listening to Ed talk about this, and I know where it's at, and I don't offer any information to him. I have just dealt falsely with him. I knew something and didn't say it. So finally he gets around and overcomes his suspicions of me and says, Did you steal my wrench? Look at the next. You shall not lie to one another. This leads me to look at him and said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have your wrench. I have just lied. To which Ed responds, you know, you come over all the time. You know, Carol next door, she saw you walk over into my garage and tear, carry something back. And this is what I say to him. I swear by the name of the Lord, I don't have your wrench. You see the progression? That's what he's talking about. How many times have people evoked, I'll bring the wrench back this afternoon, I promise, man. That's see. It'll be back in your toolbox. I just, guilt, you know, guilt. Preachers preach out of guilt. And so that's, that's. How many times do we invoke, how many times do people invoke the name of God in trying to solidify an argument that is either false or they're not sure it's true? That's what this is talking about. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. So those of old says you shall not swear falsely. Don't don't do that. Don't take God's name to to bolster your argument or your position. Now now the next but shall perform to the Lord, that's a completely different verse. And I want you to go there. I want you to go to uh, Numbers chapter 30. Numbers chapter 30. Numbers, another fun book to find in the Old Testament. It is, again, one of the first five books, and it is just past Leviticus. Chapter 30 of Numbers. This is the second part, and it has nothing to do with the first verse out of Leviticus that I just read. Nothing to do at all. Nothing about the neighbors, nothing about a horizontal relationship, getting along with other people. This is totally vertical, Chapter 30, verse 2. By the way, I I, I suppose I need to read right before verse 2 because it says, this is what the Lord has commanded. Verse 2, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Make a promise to the Lord, you keep your vow to the Lord. There's another verse says, it's better for you not to keep your vow, or better for you not to even say it. If you don't say it, you're not bound by it. Go to Ecclesiastes. I want to show you one more reference, and I think this kind of wraps up the idea, because Jesus is going to, flip the tables and give us a whole new perspective. Ecclesiastes is just past Proverbs and um, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. It's about in the middle of your Old Testament. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And then we'll make our way back to Matthew. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, says this in verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. That's hard rock stuff. Just what you say, you do. What you vow, you pull it off. This is in reference to God. Verse 5. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Notice, do not let not your mouth lead you into sin. (laughs) And do not say before the messenger or the angel or those who have come to question you, That it was a mistake. I didn't really mean to say it. How important our words are, are they not? Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? And then he says in verse 7, For when dreams increase and words grow many, there's emptiness. You ever known someone who chatted nonstop? It's like a two-way conversation was really a one-way conversation, and all you needed to do is is nod once in a while to keep it going. And they just rattled on. Contrast that to the guy in the corner, the gal in the corner, who never says a word. And finally, when they open their mouth, everyone turns and thinks, what are they finally going to say? Let your words be few, which is hard counsel for a preacher. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. Let's see what Jesus says about all this bowing and promising commitments that we make. It's quite astounding. Verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Make no promises to people. Make no oaths to God. That's surprising, isn't it? He goes on. Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. God exists. God lives. This is where his ruling authority is. We don't rule there. He does. Notice verse 35, or by the earth. For it is his footstool. He is there also nor by jerusalem for it is the city of the great king notice god's presence everywhere on the throne of heaven in the earth in a specific place that we reverence god is everywhere all the time always listening always evaluating always with his ear open to our words why would Jesus tell us not to make oaths, solemn promises? Now, I can think of a couple problems with that right off the bat. Because 37 years ago, I made an oath and a promise to the most wonderful woman who's ever walked the face of the earth. And I have kept that promise. She made an oath and promise to me, and she has kept that. That's an oath you ought to keep. So why would Jesus say, do not make oaths? I don't think his point was, don't make promises. His point was don't make promises beyond what you can control and do. When you think about it, we control very little of our lives. Think about, it's a humbling thought. Think about what you have not controlled in your life. You didn't choose the day you were born. You will not choose the day that you die. How many of y'all have siblings out there? How many of y'all chose your brothers or sisters? How many of y'all would like to unchoose your brothers and sisters? You didn't choose your father. You didn't choose your mother. You didn't choose where you were going to be born. You didn't choose what country you would be born in. Thank God we live in America, but we didn't choose this. You have a talent. You have an ability. You didn't choose that. God put that in you. You have certain physical attributes. You didn't choose what your face looked like or your body looked like. God chose that. You know? Now you get to choose your friends. That's kind of cool. You know, you're stuck with your relatives, but you get to choose your friends. But you think about how little you actually could. You, You can't control what's going to happen in the next Five seconds. You ever had your world turned upside down in five seconds through a phone call that you got, through something that you saw? You can't control the other drivers on the road. You can't, con- you can't, in some ways, control your health. Now, you can control your health by eating right and getting exercise, but still you do all those things and you might just, you know, get sick in the end. Wished you'd ate all that ice cream in the end. We cannot control life. Why do we talk like we can? Let's let's finish this and take a look at it. Notice verse 36. Do not take an oath by your head. Don't make a commitment and promise and swear your life and name by it. For you cannot make one hair, if you have one hair, white or black. Verse 37. Conclusion. Let what you say be simply yes and no. The old King James says, let it be yea or let it be nay. What is Jesus saying? He's saying being so simple in life, and I love simplicity. Those of you who know me know that I like simple stuff. Keep your life clean of all these things that you feel like you have to pull off and that you have to vindicate yourself and justify yourself and always talk. St. Augustine said this Lord, deliver me from the temptation of always having to vindicate myself, explain myself. Webster dictionary says that vindication is to show or prove to be right, reasonable or justified. People come over to our house and we got to justify and, and make reasonable decisions we've made or things we've chosen or things we've done. Well, I thought this and I did this and I did this. Why do we have to justify everything and feel like we have to vindicate decisions and stuff we say and do? Be so simple of spirit. And be so connected with your creator that your yes is simply a yes. When you say yes, it's because you feel it's the will of God to say yes. And don't be afraid to say no. That's hard for some of you. Some of you who are rescuers, you know who you are. Because when you say yes to them, you're really saying no to other things and people. Some big emergency comes up. We feel like we got to fix the whole thing. You don't have to fix. God's a big God. You don't always have to be there. But when the Lord leads you, be there. Wherever you are, this is profound. Write this down. Wherever you are, be there. And if you don't want to be there, be where you want to be. Augustine, again, had a great quote. He said, love God. And then do what you want. We feel like we have to give an answer. A justification. Someone doesn't feel good. They're quiet. Let them be quiet. Maybe ask them. But be simple in mind. And when you say yes to someone, say it because you sense God wants you to say yes. When you say no, Know that no means no, and that's okay. Jesus said, don't make make oaths. You can't change life. You can't adjust things. What do I learn? I learn that God hears everything we say. hears it all. He's everywhere. That shouldn't scare us. That should encourage us. Also, I learned God is always in the equation of our lives. Don't pull them out of the equation. When you pull them out of the equation, you can come to all kinds of wrong conclusions and say things you should not say. One man said, I've never been sorry for what I did not say. That's a good thought. Thirdly, I learned this. The last phrase that I did not read Jesus said this, let your yes be yes, let your no be no, because anything else is evil. What's the evilness beyond the simple yes and no? The evil is this, that I have eliminated God off his throne, I have taken him from his footstool, and I have pulled him out of Jerusalem, and I am now in control of life. The sovereignty of God, not the sovereignty of Mike, rules the day. That horrid, terrible night in Karen and I's life where she almost left us. and I thank God every day that he didn't take her. I remember kneeling over her in that emergency room and she asked me, Mike, am I going to die? And I got up in her face and I said, no, you are not. No, you are not. I'm not going to let you die. Now, that was out of passion and emotion and love for her. But I can't control that. I could not control the moment. God's, by his grace, relieved me and her and all of us. But we can't control life. I can't, you can't. A lot of people chatting, aren't they? Facebook, Instagram. Let your Twitter be small. Stop tweeting all that stuff. Be careful what you say. Careful, careful, careful. Let your words be few. Let silence and quiet and peacefulness rule the day. And then when you speak, it's significant. Lord Jesus, we pause to close out the sermon, and we ask you to help us. No, Lord, we ask you to live in and through us so that when we speak, it's from you. And when we give our answers, it's from you. And when we don't give our answers, it's because we don't need to, because what we have said is right and pure and no need to justify it, no need need to, to, to prove anything.